Looks like we're ready. <laughs> uh, yeah, today, um, Chris raised the question, why are we here? <laughs> and uh, a couple of texts that have been on, on my heart for the last couple of weeks. Revelation 4, 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. You remember hearing that in the King James, that last phrase? And by your pleasure they exist. Uh, it's a, uh, it rounds out the word will. And uh, it the sense of why we are here is it's for God's own good pleasure. And who else but God could you trust to do things the way that he wants to do them? You could always trust him. So, of course, then we um, we come to the the immediate thing about why we are here meeting as a, as a fellowship. And uh, we all know the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And uh, the Lord said to the disciples just before he, uh, he ascended, all, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's verse 18. Then 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And uh, the, um, the mission of the church is, is there for us, isn't it? So there's a, another answer as to why we're here. The mission is to uh, make disciples, uh, is discipling. And uh, another version used the, uh, the word teach, um, teach all nations. And uh, there's that, that sense of what is a disciple, you know, one who is taught, one who learns. And, uh, and that's what we are, aren't we? And uh, so today I wanted to look at uh, uh, Luke chapter 14, which I uh, believe we'll discover is about discipleship all through. Um, one thing we've discovered in the uh, discipleship uh, courses is that quite um, astoundingly to me at times, the, um, the chapter that we read, whatever chapter it is, there always seems to be a theme in each chapter of the Gospels. And we yeah, praise God, this is the, the Holy Spirit at work because all I could think of was that in ancient times, the uh, the scroll ran out, so they started another scroll, and uh, and that became the next chapter. But uh, God knows, and uh, and so I believe we'll see discipleship coming out in Luke fourteen. One of the constant themes that we also see in the discipleship courses is humility, the um, uh, the sense that. We follow our our Lord and our Master, who suffered the most uh, profound humiliation. He stepped down from the throne in heaven to come to earth as the as the babe, uh, to be limited in his his power, in his his outlook, in a sense to be be one of us. Yeah, what love. The humiliation of a disciple follows the master. And uh, if you haven't necessarily found humiliation and discipline in your life, um, seek the Lord and he'll give it to you. <laughs> it's, um, it's the most wonderful thing at times to, um, to realize that you're loved because your, your heavenly father is uh, bringing you into line. Um, Anyway, before we launch in, let's, let's just pray briefly again. Our wonderful Heavenly Father, we, we must say we adore you, we love you. 
you've loved us first and we we love you in return and uh, you have the words of life you have life for us and we bless you for that you have the relationship that means so much to us you don't give us a list of works that that was for the old covenant you've you've given us yourself and uh, in an obedience we would come to you and and follow you Oh dear Father, may you be pleased to honour your, your name here today, honour your word in uh, in the JJ's classes and uh, and here in the congregation too. We pray in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Um, all right, now Luke 14, verse 1. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. And uh, straight away, you you see here, uh, our master is invited to a meal on the Sabbath day. And uh, so straight away, as you've been reading through Luke, you you sensitise to to these key words. We've we've got um, there's a meal, there's a Pharisee, and it's a Sabbath. And you say, oh, here we go. This is this is being set up, and uh, and of course, um, Luke tells us that because he says they watched him closely, and uh, but isn't that the the reverse of hospitality, <laughs> in a sense? They were using um, an ordinary uh, scene where you would be hospitable to a, a stranger or a, a dignitary or something in town. You would be hospitable, but they were using it to try and trap our Lord Jesus. And uh, and that then leads, as we'll, we'll read through the chapter, to, to a conclusion that you see in, in scene after scene is that um, Jesus is utterly in control of everything. But of course he has to be, doesn't he? He's creator. And so then you, you wonder, why is he doing it? Well, love, isn't it? Love is... Is the uh, is the answer all? Um, so we, we have the Pharisees, the religious Jews, uh, who are offended by Jesus. Uh, earlier in Luke chapter twelve, verse one, uh, Jesus had said to the disciples, "Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy." And so he's he's openly criticizing the uh, religious people. Um, he uh, he knows, of course, what will be ahead because it's, it's going to be it has become common. But he doesn't refuse the invitation to uh, to to the meal. He uh, maybe we can we can call that to mind when we're witnessing to someone who doesn't seem to. Um, have much time for for Jesus for all that religion and all that stuff that uh, Jesus will confront anyone he he will take them on no matter what they they have against him now verse two behold there was a certain man before him who had dropsy and Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath but they kept silent, and he took him and healed him and let him go. So we have the, the scene set up. The, um, the host, for whatever reason, has invited a man who is ill. Uh, dropsy is what he's suffering. That's edema. So there's fluid retention. So the poor fellow, you've... You can well imagine that it would have been very obvious to everyone there that, that he was ill. And uh, um, you shouldn't really interpret reasons put when they're not given, but um, you, could, you could think that, well, maybe he's a relative, but maybe what seems to fit the, the scene is that he was invited in because they wanted a patsy to, to trap Jesus on the Sabbath to heal him, which they would call work. And... Uh, but what's our Lord do? He uses it as an opportunity for doing good. And uh, 
And again, there's the, um, the f as followers, we would take any opportunity to do good, to be loving, to, to show agape love. Um, I like there in verse 3, it, it talks about, um, uh, it says, and Jesus answering, but they didn't say anything. So <laughs> he answers the, uh, the lawyers and the Pharisees. Um, but of course, the conclusion you can quite reasonably draw is that uh, once again Jesus knows men's thoughts and he it would be obvious what they were uh, thinking, they were trying to set him up. And uh, Now Jesus knew God's law, so the, the law about the Sabbath was from Exodus 20 verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. And so uh, Jesus, of course, would respect that. Um, but he, he does draw out that what the, um, the tradition was then was more than God's law. The... Um, no doubt in the past, those who, who were keen to not break God's law, they, they went to extremes and, uh, uh, and so the traditions became very rigid. And, uh, and so doing good became works and uh, that was um, where Jesus was pulling them back. But that always happens though, doesn't it? We always add things to, to God's... Um, requirements of it. Um, one that came to mind for me was that my grandfather. He was um, um, he was a he was a pommy. He came out here in oh, about nineteen ten or something. Uh, he and my grandmother uh, were um, Sunday school teachers. They ran a Sunday school in a church uh, out from Melbourne somewhere. Um, Around about the, you know, the, those early years, around about uh, just before the First World War, that was. Now, um, the stories of his faith um, were profound. Um, during the 1930s, he couldn't get work. He was a, a cabinet maker, and of course, no one wanted cabinets when the Great Depression was on, because that was a luxury. You could. <laughs> Get a kerosene box or something instead. <laughs> um, so he he was out of work. He he, he couldn't get any paying work, and uh, there was the stories about how the the family lived by faith, and uh, and so I believe that um, he was a, a disciple. He was a believer, but he had a um, a concept of the Sabbath Sunday. And uh, and he would even go as far as not uh, wanting my grandmother to prepare meals on the Sunday, so she would um, prepare the food the the day before for them to eat on the Sunday. And uh, he didn't want people to work on a Sunday, so he wouldn't even call a taxi when they had to go somewhere. So so they'd walk. So poor grandma with the calipers on her legs, <laughs> they'd walk up the street instead of calling a taxi to take them up to church or something, whatever. Uh, but so there's, in my life, there was an example of a, uh, it was right on this one, of the Sabbath um, having, you know, extra uh, requirements put on it, of course. But um, each of us, as a disciple, God gives us his word, he gives us his spirit, and may he inform us and cause us to walk in good conscience before him. I'm sure my grandfather walked in good conscience before God. And uh, and may you do what God impresses on you to, to do. It's, it's not serving them in the matters, it's loving him in the relationship. So you would obey. Now, in... in um, in these verses, uh, we we got verse four. Jesus healed the man, uh, but there was no fuss. We we're not even told how he healed him. He he didn't hug him. We're not told that. He he didn't um, 
squeeze his arm or something, the poor fellow. He, he didn't tell him to, uh, okay, you can take off your, your pressure bandages or something. Um, we're told he healed him and he sent him on his way. He, he got him out of there. And uh, so the, um, the poor fellow would not have been then subject to, you know, interrogations or whatever. We've, we see an example of, of what I'm thinking of there with, um, what's it, Acts chapter 4, is it, with the, um, the beggar outside the temple, you know, and he, he asks for arms, and, the, and uh, Peter and John say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, and they healed him. Uh, God healed him, sorry. And, uh, and then after that, there's a significant part of the, the text involved with interrogating the, the apostles, interrogating the man. And, and so we see Jesus, um, his compassion on this fellow that he healed from the uh, edema. He, he sent him away quickly. And, uh, and so verse 5, he returns to the business of the day. Uh, then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. Again, we have um, the phrase uh, that uh, Jesus answered, but they had said nothing. So in this case, he's answering his own question and, and of course, uh, by projection, their thoughts. He's answering the whole thing about the whether it's lawful. And uh, as usual, our Lord uses an everyday situation. He doesn't dream up something strange. It's just an everyday situation that just highlights the, the issue at, at hand. And this time... The uh, the phrasing about them answering is that they could not answer, so they just did not have anything to say. Um, they seemed to be confounded by him, and so our Lord will always be in charge of every situation. Is is what I would say. Don't be, don't be worried. He has promised that whenever you are. Uh, what brought before the, the synagogue or, or whatever else. So let's put it in our terms. Whenever you are called to, to witness for him, when you are called to, uh, defend your faith in a sense, to, um, to own up to it in a sense, he will give you the words because he's in charge. He will. So what we can draw out of that, no doubt, is that it's okay for us to do good on the Sabbath, even though we're on Sunday and it's not Saturday. And oh, Sorry, you, you've been into those arguments with people about yeah, Seventh-day Adventists and things, haven't you? About it's, not the, it's not right, it's not the Sabbath. No, this is the new covenant. God loves us. All right, let's go. Verse 7, we've got, So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best seats, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honourable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So now Jesus is now speaking to the other guests at the meal. Um, he, he observed how they took their seats and um, he is instructing them how to please God and not be religious quite apart from um, 
you know, the politeness that we would expect from people. Anyway, um, we can say that the Lord observes people, so we we must believe that he still does, of course. So even in mundane things like um, sitting down to, uh, to the table. Uh, so for us, uh, let's say that it, it, it does us well to conduct ourselves in every situation of life as if Jesus is observing us. And uh, if that is hard, which it always is hard with, when you're with your family, of course, isn't it? That's the time when you, you unravel. <laughs> and uh, he's the one to uh, empower us and to fill us and to, uh, to change things as we seek him. Just briefly on the seating, um, do you remember Jay McCall coming to do these biblical dinners with us? He um, he has a, a wonderful way of explaining some of the customs in this culture that we're reading about, and he tells them tells us that uh, the seating arrangement at a meal in this ancient Roman time was that there was a hierarchy, and they had these triclinium's that they would recline around. And, uh, and so there was a place for the host, there was a place for the guest of honour, then there was a hierarchy of seating for all the rest of the guests. And, of course, there was always the lowest seat in the triclinium, which might have gone to the slave who washed the feet or something. But significantly, we know that uh, at the Last Supper, it was Peter who was given the, the lowest seat and uh, that sort of led the way for the, the interaction with, with the Lord then too, didn't it? Everything in our life, I believe, is, is going to work for good if we're a, a disciple. Everything will, will come about to give God glory too. So um, this parable is about a wedding feast. Uh, so... I assume we take exactly the same seating order, not like we would do with uh, you know, with the uh, the head table and so on. That's it's uh, we just look at it within the the sense of the culture, of course. Um, now, what Jesus is teaching them is about uh, God's economy, uh, in a sense. So, under God's way. Uh, there's no self-promotion. Expect humiliation. Um, that verse 9, I like the way it reads. Um, after the, the host and the, uh, the favoured guest come, uh, then it says, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. It's, it's like the, the sentence is stretched and it, it gives me the sense of uh, the, uh, the embarrassment you know, if you're embarrassed, our time just stretches, <laughs> and you can't you can't get out of it quick enough. That that is how that phrase reads to me too, and uh, I, I just loved it. Um, with with God's economy for um, humiliation, for humility, um, he he will fill us. He will will set us up to. To think his way, of course, he will, won't he? Um, one verse there in uh, Philippians 2, uh, well, two verses. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. And uh, as as the Lord enables, He will um, give you opportunity and uh, and the courage to uh, to fulfil those that uh, encouragement from the apostle. All right, back back to Luke, uh, verse twelve. Then He also said to him who invited Him, "When you give a dinner or, or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbours." 
lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So this time our Lord is addressing the host of the meal and uh, and he's instructing him on how to be a disciple and um, as a host to be generous in the same way that God is generous with us. You know, we always say it, don't we, but God is generous to everyone in the world. He brings rain on everyone. He... Uh, he provides the um, the wherewithal for everyone, for wealth, for every animal, for every sparrow. There's always another one, isn't there, to come along. And uh, um, and we have no way of repaying God. So he will, if we ask him, if we, he will give us the same heart to be generous to those who who he puts before us. Oh, just uh, briefly on that, the harshness of, as that sounds, do not ask your friends and so on. Uh, David Guzik's commentary, he uses uh, a different phrasing. He says the original language has the sense of do not always ask. Um, so it's okay to invite you, your relatives over to dinner occasionally. It's, the Lord's not saying don't do it. Um, so I like Mr. Guzik's comment there. But uh, not exclusively is, is what the Lord is definitely saying. Um, and Jesus would have us to focus on others' needs instead of trying to ingratiate ourselves with others. Um, he does wish us to do good deeds to show agape love. Um, that last phrase for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And um, so then again, that implies that God knows everything that is happening in our lives, everything that goes on. And, uh, and so there will be a, a, um, um, a time of, um, of re- of just rewards, put it that way. There will be just rewards for those who serve the Lord faithfully and, and obey him. Okay, we've uh, come through to verse 15. Uh, now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Well, then he said, that's the capital H on the he, Jesus a certain man gave us a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Well, then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. So we have a comment from one of the, <clears throat> one of the other guests at the, at the meal. And uh, uh, he's possibly trying to divert the Lord from haranguing him. <laughs> he, he says, um, 
Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And uh, no doubt that, that was loaded with, with all sorts of expectations for the time because the, um, they knew the prophecies of Daniel and the, uh, um, the, uh, the timing was, was right. Messiah had to be coming and the kingdom of God they expected would be ushered in. And, uh, and so, um, possibly one of the commentators said that that might have been a, a, a common phrase that people used at the time. It might have been a, a, um, uh, a great expectation that, that they would all be included in the, in the kingdom, being, uh, Jewish people, the Israelites. But, um, Jesus is is not taken on any tangent. <laughs> he comes. Sorry, I shouldn't puff on that. Um, he he brings it around to um, who will eat the king the bread in the kingdom of God. Um, who will be he who is blessed to eat the bread? And and as it comes through, the the answer is not what the asker would probably suppose from what we know about the times. So the, we have the parable um, probably um, telling against the host and his guests who represent the religious Jews. Um, the guests in the parable were invited to the great supper. So if we take that to represent Israel, they were too concerned with life and making money and uh, um, playing with toys or something or, or with family relationships. Um, so they didn't even want to go to the, uh, the Great Supper. Um, the excuses were pretty lame and they'd been invited, but no one refused beforehand. It was only when the, um, the attendant came round to um, invite them in, uh, that then they made their excuses. They just didn't want to attend. And uh, so the, the host, God, extends his invitation beyond. And, and you, you hear the, um, uh, the words of Jesus there, uh, later on, where he would say that, uh, um, you know, take the the gospel to um, to Jerusalem and uh, Judea, Samaria, and and beyond, and uh, and so the servant in in the parable is sent to the to the town and pulls in as many people as he could find in the back alleys, um, and then he's sent out to the uh, to the highway and to the hedges and the out in the farms and pulls in everyone that he could find there too, and uh, so it, it fits beautifully that that is the what the Lord is talking about. He's he's talking about the gospel will go out, and the Jews who, on the whole, uh, rejected Messiah, um, they will. Um, they will miss out, though, in that sense, those who were in that generation. But God's grace, God's free gift, the free invitation, uh, would be sent out to the Gentiles. And uh, it, um, we're told that it won't be until uh, during the, the time of the tribulation, uh, Jacob's trouble, when, when the, um, uh, those who were alive then, the the uh, Israelite nation then would would um, wholeheartedly uh, come to Messiah and uh, acknowledge the Lord Jesus. And uh, but until then, the, the church will be made up of of the Gentiles uh, mostly, of course. Uh, now we've. Um, one thing. To extend that, um, to go away from just the um, not 
the the Jewish people and the and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Gentiles. If we if we think today, uh, those who are, um, are refusing to listen to God uh, and those who have listened to God. If you, if you make those the two camps, in a sense, and um, those refusing God's invitation today, could be anyone in the world, and maybe even anyone um, in the room today or, or listening later, that maybe if you find yourself resisting God in some way, um, he's... He is good and he's kind, he's the best of masters and he is worthy to, to, uh, to rule a life. So if you are resisting him, if you've lost your way, the master's calling. If you are depressed or broken, he's calling, he will heal. And he, he's calling all, he's looking for people who will listen. And, uh, if you know, if you do know that you're poor in spirit and hopeless, then, then the master is waiting for you. He wants you to to seek him. And uh, that that parable can fit us today in that way too. But the ultimate context is the marriage supper of the Lamb, when Christ and the church have the uh, the marriage supper after the resurrection. Um, of course, those originally invited were Israel, the Jewish people most of whom rejected Christ and the outsiders uh, called late are the, uh, the Gentile church. And, uh, and so we have that scene of, um, uh, that we read of in, in the, uh, the pictures in, in the Revelation of, of the taking up of the church to be with the uh, bridegroom. Um, now, where have we got here? Verse 25. We'll go on. Now, great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Well, what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off he sends a delegation asks conditions of peace so likewise whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple and verse 34 salt is good but if salt has lost its flavor how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, so we're now introduced to a new scene. It would seem that we're, we're no longer in the meal because we have a, uh, a multitude with him. Um, there may have been some time frame between or might have been immediately after. It doesn't really matter. It's the... the uh, the context of the whole chapter, which which fits. Um, so, we have the multitude following Jesus, and uh, we've in in the way it's put it makes you think of the uh, mixed multitude who followed the uh, Israelites out of uh, Egypt, and, uh, and there was an awful lot of strife, wasn't there, coming from the mixed multitudes in in that occasion and uh, uh, Jesus is um, is now addressing the uh, multitude he's addressing the crowd he's, he's not addressing the disciples specifically now he's telling the, the, the multitude of the cost of being a disciple and so what it will mean to them if they wish to continue to follow him the first condition that he expects 
is that a disciple will put God before all other relationships in life, even the close family relationships. He's not saying that he wants us to, to neglect the relationships, but to keep our relationship to God uppermost. And so the language is, is strong, isn't it? Um, hate, he's, he's saying, but the, the sense is the black and white. Um, so instead of a grey or a lukewarm uh, relationship with God, um, the relationship to God must be first. And um, as we were saying before, the you know, what better um, person than God to to have primary relation relationship with? Because you know that He will uh, inform you on how to conduct your other relationships. He will fill you with His Spirit to to love your wife and your kids, or your husband and your kids, to love the the um, the difficult in-laws or, or whatever else. You know, the Lord will do that for you because you have the primary relationship in place. Um, in, we do see examples, though, today of, of where the hate is um, evident, in, in a sense. Um, if you have, uh, if you've come across some of the open doors um, literature on, on some of the the witnessing to um, to believers in Muslim countries or even uh, uh, devoutly Hindu or, or so on, that uh, where conversion to Christ is seen as a betrayal of the family and uh, um, you get things uh, like it's it's projected that the the new believer is hating the family by converting and uh, whereas it is the most gloriously natural thing to do is to to have a relationship with our creator and um, and of course, you you do hear of uh, you know, very drastic things that happen to people as they come to the Lord. Um, it uh, anyway, it's it's not quite what the, the Lord's saying here, but that that is a situation there. Now, um, the Lord expects that every believer will put God f- first before personal desires. And uh, so that is a description of a servant. We are servants, aren't we? Uh, okay, the next part was the, the cross, to bear your cross. Um, well, in, in Roman times, that obviously meant you were on death row. If you're carrying your cross, you're on the way to being executed. And uh, uh, so Jesus would have us die to self, uh, that... That is the sense that, that I see there. If we we would be his disciple, he would have us say this along with the Apostle Paul, Paul in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus gave everything, didn't he? But that is what he requires of us too. And, uh, and the glorious thing is that he empowers us to, uh, to take up that cross every day. Uh, the next one is the building the tower. He would have us consider uh, what is ahead. Um, he would have us have that same attitude that uh, that he had on earth. So the uh, the phrase that the Lord used was that he only ever did the will of the Father. And so if we are to uh, build the tower of our life of discipleship, we have to do it God's way. Otherwise it it's just not going to happen. It's not going to be satisfying. And uh, 
one good attitude of life for the disciple is is another reference from the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others I myself should become disqualified. And um, with our... With our eye on the ultimate goal, we build that tower that is the, the life that God will bring us into, to, that he would raise us to the full stature of the, uh, the likeness of our Lord Jesus, that we would run, that we would be aware of our own limitations and uh, bring them to God. Um, it's a tragedy when you hear of those who have started well and fall into sin because they... Um, Probably thought they were, they had it wired, they, you know, for, you know, the usual things for pastors, I'm sure I've read this, that it's either money or sex is, is the thing that will trip up pastors. And, uh, men and women, there are many things that will trip us up and, uh, and may we keep our eye on the prize, may we keep our eye on our Lord who would, who will empower us to, to stay. Now, the king's going to war. Um, if God is the king that we are going to war against, if we would resist him, well, we'd certainly do well to consider what's in the battle ahead because with God there's no chance of victory. You know, like the, uh, the men at the meal, there was no chance that they could outmaneuver our Lord. Our creator knows all, of course. He has to be above us. So the best option if we are resisting God is to submit to his discipline now, accept his terms of surrender, which is total surrender. And uh, But his, his terms are ex- the most acceptable that you would get from any opponent. He gives himself. He, he fills you with his love. He gives you gifts. He gives you peace. He wants our complete surrender. And that last one there, the salt. Uh, we've we read in the Sermon on the Mount that salt is um, in a similar way can lose its saltiness. Uh, we all know salt's for preserving or for uh, taste or for sterilizing. Uh, so if the disciple is is salt in the world. Um, well, then we are displaying the uh, the nature of Christ. And uh, the way we keep doing that is to stay close to the Lord, to have short accounts, to uh, to repent when he, he calls to us to do so, which is called walking in the Spirit. And may we all fulfill his will that way. And... Um, Just to wind it, to, just to tie it together, uh, the chapter is about being a disciple of Jesus, um, a learner and a servant who obeys. Um, we see that the disciple's attitude of heart matters and uh, we, we see examples of how not to be a disciple. Um, yeah, God doesn't want us to be religious or driven by self, uh, by pride. Um, he, Once we have surrendered to him, he will work in us to make sure that pride is not part of our makeup. He will humiliate us. And, uh, and it's only then uh, that he will exalt us. Um, yeah, that, uh, that quote I alluded to before, it's Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. 
My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son who he receives. And um, that paradox, we know we are loved when we are disciplined, and uh, we are disciples when we are learning. Um, okay, we have the requirement to die to self and surrender all. Um, if we don't display his nature to the world, if we don't do good um, out of obedience to him, we are useless to him. And uh, so, what's the ultimate reason for following? That's the ultimate reason we're here. It's love, isn't it? Um, God so loved the world. It's the love of Jesus who, who humiliated himself on our behalf. He first loved us. And so we are fulfilling the, the very reason that we were, that this universe was created. We're fulfilling it when we have a relationship with God. And, uh, may we continue in it. May we we grow close to him. Anyway, let's pray. Our wonderful Father, you, uh, you do have a plan for each of us. You do have good ahead for, uh, for all those who have submitted to you and love. You've called so many and chosen few. May you be pleased to use each one of us in, in your own way this week ahead. May you be pleased to be glorified and made look good. Dear Father, we we say we we love you, but we do we we love you because you loved us first, and, uh, and there is no other place to be except with you. May you be glorified and be pleased to use us more and more in Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen.